Good evening, and welcome back. We are in week three of the Auld Lang Sign series. And before you think, wow, Endgame, what an incredibly original, cool title, I actually took that from something else, uh, from my trilogy, uh, Genesis, book one of the Endgame trilogy. So there you go. But today we are going to be in week three, and so far we have talked uh, about uh, John being called to write Revelation when he was in the midst of exile and, and definitely questioning everything about his life. And he knew that he was the last of the 12 disciples, and he knew that he had seen so many people pass, and he was probably wondering a lot about everything. And then he gets this amazing vision, this amazing calling, and Jesus talks to him again. And then, you know, last week we talked about how he got to go up to heaven in spirit and see things. And so this week we're going to talk about some of the things that, that he saw, some of the things that he wrote about, some of the things that make Revelation so amazing and also so crazy at times. Uh, I wish that, that there was time to get through everything that is just uh, makes Revelation so, so beyond description, but uh, we're going to try to hit a lot of things. I want to start with Revelation 19, 11 through 21. Uh, then I saw heaven opened, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider uh, was named Faithful and True, for, the judge, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God the Almighty, like juice flowing from a winepress. On his robe at his thigh was written... This title, King of, King, King of All Kings and Lord of All Lords. Uh, there's a lot in that that we immediately understand. We know that it's Jesus. We recognize that imagery. Uh, and we see some of it from week one where we talked about uh, where John, or from week two where John saw Jesus and saw the sword coming out of his mouth. And it's not actually that he's carrying a sword around in his mouth. It's that his word is so powerful. And, and it goes back to things that were said about him as a baby and throughout his life that his word was truthful and honorable and, and powerful. And it cut people, not where he was intending to cut people, but they would feel it and be like, man, I'm really messing up. Or they'd get angry or whatever. And you see the justice, you just see the, the regality of him and the crowns and everything that, that makes him our savior and everything that we see. And that's what John is describing. He's seeing the, the beginnings of the battle of Armageddon. Now, if you've heard, probably you've heard that phrase before, and not just in terms of meteors falling from the sky and Bruce Willis saving us, but in terms of the biblical uh, battle and just this final battle. And so I want to, that's what the main purpose of this week is going to be, talking about that and what it means and, and how it's described. And we see John seeing that. Now, before this, he's seen a lot of things. And if you look through Revelation, uh, everything that we haven't talked about, you look through the, the different judgments and the different signs and, and the different uh, just amazing events that happen. And you see demon locusts and you see uh, war and famine and you see all of these things that you've heard about, but you see them through John's eyes. And here he's seeing the beginning of the end, basically. He's seeing the final battle and so much has happened. And it starts with Jesus on a white horse. And you're like, well, why is he on a white horse? Because he's on a white horse because he is victorious because it's been prophesied that he would be on a white horse going way back. Uh, now, there is also a lot of talk. One of the main things people talk about in Revelation 
is the idea of the Antichrist. And, and that word is not actually in Revelation, but that idea is there, and it, it talks about it. And so there will be some form of that. Uh, I'm going to, this week, talk about what I think from, from what I've read and, and from different things. But I want to caution by saying, as much as I've studied this, and as firm as I, I feel about uh, Revelation being revealed to me, and, and as much as I've just really taught and tried and read and, and just poured myself into this throughout my life, I am by no means an expert. Like, I, I have no idea. No one on this earth, no one anywhere here has any idea of exactly how or when or, or what this will look like. We can all uh, make educated guesses. We can have theories. We can pray and we can have things revealed. But, but this is purposely vague in some ways because the point of Revelation is not to scare. It's not to freak out. It's to show us, hey, be ready. Be ready, regardless of when this is. And, and you see these things could happen at any time. And they could have happened at any point throughout history. Be ready. And, and that's what Jesus wants us to see. He wants us to feel. And so he, he rides up. And uh, one of the things with the Antichrist that you hear a lot, pretty much every president and every world leader, someone calls them or refers to them or says they're going to be the Antichrist. Because when we don't like someone, we see all of the negativity, and especially if you don't have an understanding, especially if you've never really uh, read a lot of Revelation, especially if you just don't like the person a lot, you're like, well, they're the Antichrist. And sometimes it's said, like it's said in, in different books of the Bible, as just an agent of evil. But most of the time when people say it, they're saying, this is the one Revelation is talking about. Watch out. Well, here's the thing. No president is ever going to be the Antichrist because the whole point of the Antichrist is he's going to at least appear to fulfill the messianic prophecies. Because the entire point is that the church, the, the, the Jewish believers, a lot of people will be fooled by him and think, well, this is the Messiah we've been waiting for. Now you're like, well, wait, so he's going to be born of a, a virgin and all of this? Not in the same way. I mean, obviously, it's not going to, it's going to be him trying to fool people or whatever. My feeling is that it's not going to be somebody who is born evil and like, I can't wait until I get the chance to lead and be evil. I think it's going to be somebody who is corrupted over time or even thinks they're doing the right thing and then all of a sudden realizes that they're doing it for the wrong and then it's too late and they've made their choice. And then after three and a half years of the Antichrist doing whatever he does, uh, the devil actually possesses him. Because he actually dies and then it appears that he comes back like Jesus did, but it's not him anymore. And so all of those things are freaky. They're scary. They're crazy. And we like to, to try to make sense of things. And so we look at somebody we don't like. Uh, whatever president is sitting, whatever president is coming, whatever president is past, whatever world leader, blah, blah, blah. Any celebrity Popes, whatever. I've heard all kinds of things. I actually have a book in my office. It's a little pocket book, and it's like, uh, it's about end time stuff, and it's not a theological thing. It's just kind of a fun little thing, but it has like the top seven candidates for the Antichrist, and it's from way back. And spoiler alert, none of them were. Uh, but the whole point is that people will willingly follow someone. When Jesus is over here, already fulfilled all the prophecies, already perfect, already good, already holy, and people will be like, yeah, I don't like that because I have to change, but this guy says I don't have to change. Or this guy I like better, or whatever. He looks better in a suit, or, or whatever. And so that's the thing, like, we don't know. And, and so you're like, well, how is somebody like that going to take power? How is it going to get to, to this seven-year period that ends in Armageddon, that ends in the endgame? How? Well, again, Revelation says a lot. 
the idea of the rapture is another thing that you've heard a lot. And, and most of us, well, we all hope that it happens before the tribulation, before the bad things in Revelation. We hope that. But it might not. There are people that believe it happens before. Uh, and there are people that believe that it happens in the middle at the three and a half. There are people that believe it happens right at the end. That's not important. And this is a key to everything. And I'll talk about this. I've talked about it last week. Not like believing when and how Revelation is going to look. That's not a salvation issue. That's not a dogma issue. The important thing is you believe Jesus is going to come back. And you believe that he has a plan. And you believe that, that he loves us. And, and however that looks is however it looks. Now personally, and again I say this is personal. And I've studied it and I've read commentaries and, and I base it on things. But it's not fact. We, I don't know. Personally, I think that the rapture will happen before. And I don't think that it's going to be like you've seen in movies where people are walking and all of a sudden they disappear and their clothes fall. For one, because we don't get our new bodies until the very end and all of these different things. But I think, I think that everyone who believes in whatever form that, 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 that this means, believes in Jesus, follows him, has given their life to him, however you want to say it, truly not just says it, but truly has him in their heart and believes fully and follows him. I believe that they will die in some way at the same time. And I believe that that will be insane because it's not going to be, I don't think it's going to be like a disease or something that takes a period of time. I think it's going to be instant. And I think that if we were to turn on the news tomorrow and you take religion out of it and you're to turn on the news and you see that millions of people die at once, everybody's going to be like, whoa, What's happening? Like, this is crazy. What, what is going to Who's going to take over? Who's going to help? Because there are going to be people that we don't expect. There are going to be people uh, left that we expected to go. There are going to be uh, people that, that, that on every side of the political aisle, in every country, and they're just going to be gone. And it's going to be crazy. And so I think that whoever the Antichrist is will see that. And maybe, honestly, and, and again, in my opinion try to bring people together. And he's going to have the devil whispering in his ear and there's going to be a lot of stuff there and he's not going to know it, I think. I think he's going to be corrupted over time. Again, maybe not. And he's going to see like, okay, well, let's come together. And now, when, what is the most likely time for everybody to turn to a, a peaceful voice after a tragedy? Going back, and not to, to lighten this at all, but uh, one of the greatest tragedies of my lifetime was September 11th, 2001. And I remember very clearly, and anybody watching that was alive then, can remember where you were probably. And I was in college at the time, uh, and, and, and I remember uh, just hearing about it, and it didn't really seem real. And, you know, with words talk, like, do we still have class? Like, do we just sit here and talk? Like, do we stay at our... It was crazy. Like, nobody... Looking back, a lot of people say uh, it, it, we paint it differently, but it was just crazy. It was this moment of chaos. We had no idea what was happening. And then our president at the time was George W. Bush, and... Everybody has different opinions on him, just like we do every single president. But his job was to stand up and bring us together. Now, whether or not you think he did, I don't know. That's up to you. But that was a time where we were very receptive to that message. Because something awful had happened, and people died, and it was tragic, and it was evil. And so it was, there was a period of time, and I remember this clearly too, where everybody here was just together. Now, that didn't mean that people didn't disagree. It didn't mean people didn't argue. But there were no sports. There were no TV shows. And so everybody was just like, man, let's come together here. 
Let's think. Let's, let's be uh, better Christians. Let's be better Americans. Let's be better people. And it was a real thing. And then, you know, as time passed, angers got away and people forgot certain things and people are people. And you can go back before that and you can go back to Pearl Harbor. You can go back to something from the Civil War, Revolutionary War. You can go back to world history. You can go back to all of these different events and people come together, especially in those first few days. Well, now imagine if millions of people die at once, people are going to come together. And a voice coming out and saying, hey, let's come together. It's going to work. And so that's what I think it will start. That's what I think it will look like. And, and from there, one of the other things that, that we hear, and you've maybe heard a lot about this recently with vaccines and everything. I'm not going to get into vaccines and personal opinion for, for the COVID thing. But people talk about the mark. The mark of the beast you've heard. Now, there is a period of time where people were positive that checkbooks were the mark of the beast, that using that because credit and then credit cards absolutely were the mark of the beast. And then cell phones were absolutely the mark of the beast. And I'm not making fun of that, but there's always something that we think is the mark of the beast, just that there's always somebody we think is going to be the Antichrist, just that there's always something throughout time that, that we think is going to be what we want it to be in some ways. Now, I'm not going to tell you what the mark of the beast is going to look like. Revelation talks about it. Microchip, something, mark, I, I don't know. What I will tell you, and what I am positive of, one of the few things that I'm positive of, Jesus, who loves you, who loves all of us, who follows us, who died for us, will never allow someone to be tricked away from him. Now, he will allow people to make the choice to follow a false prophet or to follow someone, but... It is my belief, and I'm very firm on this, that whenever that moment comes in the future, people will know for a fact what they're choosing. It won't just be, hey, you know, hey, take this cell phone and, and it's going to make your life easier. It's going to be, hey, take this cell phone and also turn away from Jesus. It's going to be legit. And so that's one thing that I think makes everything for me less scary, because if you look through it, uh, and you're like, man, this could just happen. What if I do this? What if a tattoo? What if uh, I get the wrong hat? What if blah, blah, blah? Jesus' goal has never been to trick people out of heaven, ever. You look through everything. He gave Judas, who he knew was going to betray him, time after time. He washed his feet. He prayed with him. He healed with him. He was with him day after day for three years. And I believe right up to his death, that he would have accepted Jesus' forgiveness, or he would have accepted Judas' question for redemption. Jesus is not about tricking us out of it. He's about helping the most people to get to him, opening the, the doors so that people can see his love and then choose him. And so nothing, no matter how revelation looks, no matter when it happens, no matter what it looks like, no matter who is there, nothing is going to be, well, wait, I don't know. You're going to know. Just like you know now. Just like everything that we do in our lives, we can justify it and we can think about it and we can do this. And there are some things that are gray. But for the most part, we know when we're choosing against God. We know when we're doing something that we're going to have to ask for forgiveness for. And a lot of people are like, well, I'll just ask for forgiveness later. And it's trouble. And in fact, that's the reason Revelation was written, so that we'd be like, I've got to live ready. And so the, the mark and the rapture and the Antichrist, they're all exciting for me to talk about and there have been movies that talk about them there's even been a Nicolas Cage movie that talks about it you talk about crazy nobody knows exactly except Jesus 
But what we know about Jesus is what's important here. What is his goal? To love everyone and to show them the way to heaven. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Even talk to Nicodemus, to Pharisees. I am here to save you, not to condemn you. All of these things are things Jesus said. So we know that while bad things do happen, and while tribulations and and deaths, and people absolutely will die for choosing not to take the mark, which again is something that you can look for. And people will die for saying that they're Christians at this point, or following Jesus at this point, just like they died in the early days. Never in the history of time has Jesus been about tricks. He's been straightforward. He said, hey, if you choose this, it's me. If you choose that, it's death. Why? In an insane and difficult and hard and and angry part of human history in the future. Why would he then be like, I'm going to change everything now and just be kind of funny. I'm going to let people get tricked. Now that doesn't mean that you should just do everything the government tells you or do everything anybody tells you or just be like, oh, I don't have to worry about it now. What it means is if you are truly following Jesus, and I mean truly, I mean you are like, I love him and I'm going to do my best. I'm honestly doing my best. And I'm going to mess up, but when I mess up, I'm going to pick myself up and I'm going to say, Jesus, help me to do better and I'm going to keep doing better. If you're honestly doing that, you don't have to worry about the words of revelation. You don't have to worry about the, 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 the cautions. Now that doesn't mean stop and be like, oh, well, I'll do whatever I want. I'm not saying that. I'm saying if you truly love him and you're living like you love him and you're following him, you're ready. Just keep doing that. Don't get too comfortable. Don't be like, oh, well, now, you know, Jeff said that it's going to be like this. So now I can just do whatever I want and I can uh, say I love Jesus and then whatever. We'll worry about it later. No, no, no. If you truly love Jesus, look at Peter. Peter truly loved Jesus and he screwed up extraordinarily in his life. He indirectly or directly, however you want to parse it, called Jesus a liar. He wasn't intending to, but called him a liar when he said, I'm going to die. He's like, no, no, no. We've talked about that. And he denied him. He lied and said he didn't know him three times. And yet he continued to follow Jesus. He stood up. He got up out of the water and he got up from there and he apologized and he moved forward and he became a pastor and he did everything he could because he followed Jesus. He screwed up a lot. David screwed up a lot. Every single person in the Bible screwed up a lot, but they did it. Most of them, the ones that or the heroes, did it loving Jesus, following Jesus, doing what they could for Jesus, living for Jesus. And so they were able to get through it. So do that. Live like that. Now this stuff, like I said, is exciting. And you go from there to, uh, well, basically the tribulation, the time of tribulation. So there's seven years. And there's three and a half years that are pretty bad and there are going to be diseases and a lot of things are going to happen to a lot of people. And then there are three and a half years after the, the Antichrist dies and comes back and the witnesses die. That's a fun part. So the two witnesses, uh, people think sometimes that Elijah and Moses who talked to Jesus in the New Testament, which is a really cool passage, uh, that they are the witnesses. Some people think that John is one of them. Some people think that uh, the, the who... Uh, Enoch is one of them because he he left. Like, there are a lot of different theories. Point is, the word of God never goes away. It's always going to, there's never going to be a part, even after the rapture, even after evil anywhere, even after tragedies, even after whatever, there's never going to be a part that you can't hear the word of God. Now, there may be times where you have to go underground. 
There may be times where it's dangerous. I don't know. Well, yes, I do know. Yes, there will be. There are other countries. Uh, I came from a Nazarene church, and I'm sure it's the same in Methodist, but I'm, uh, I haven't been to mission conferences here yet. But uh, we would have, when there would be like a missionary conference, there'd be somebody who'd say, well, these two uh, are going over there, but please don't post about this, which is really sad that you have to say some of this stuff, but please don't post about this because they're going to a country where it's illegal. And they have to, uh, you know, have this day job and then they, they do their church thing and they pray and they preach and they do everything they can, but they have to do it underground or they will die. And it's legit. And so we don't find out their last names or we don't find out what country it is. And you go back to the early churches, the days of Acts, uh, and, and churches, people were killed for worshiping him. There are other places in the world where it's like that. And so it'll be like that again during these seven years. But... The word of God is still there. And it's coming to this part of victory. And we're going to get there, don't worry. It's coming to this part of victory. And that's what Revelation is about. It's not about the scary stuff, although that's scary. It's about the victorious stuff at the end. It's about heaven. It's about Jesus having this under control. And it's not about, you know, what's the mark going to look like? What is it going to be? It's going to be like, okay, Jesus has me. I just have to listen to him. I have to follow him. Well, what if I get fooled by the Antichrist? Well, it's about, hey, Jesus. Because there are things that can fool us now. There are people that trick us now. There are people that have been tricked by all kinds of things. But it's never been because Jesus hasn't let them know the answer. It's because they've willingly walked away from it. And that's always going to be the case. I'm going to go on. Uh, this is the setup for him again. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, shouting to the vultures flying high in the sky, uh, Come, gather together for the great banquet God has prepared. Come and eat the flesh of kings, generals, and strong warriors, of horses and their riders, and of all humanity, both free and slave, small and great. Then I saw the beasts and the kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army. So this is the setup for Armageddon. This is the setup for the final battle, the, the Antichrist, the devil, the, the evil, the, the bad people, the people who have chosen against Jesus, the people wearing the mark, however you want to say it. They're lining up against Jesus and the heavenly armies. And it's like, that's insane. Like, why would someone who could look at Jesus and be like, I can beat him? Who can look at God and be like, I can beat him? Who could know the love of Christ and then post a hateful comment on Facebook about someone else? Who could know that Jesus is perfect and loves everyone and then tell someone else that they're worthless? Who could know that Jesus forgives and tell someone else that they can't forgive them? All of us. That's the answer. And so we look at this and it's like, this is insane, but humans suck. Often we are our own gods. And the Bible clearly says no other gods before me. But a lot of people start to worship themselves. They start to smell themselves, so to speak. That's what the kids today say. And everybody loves when I talk like the kids today. This is the utmost in human arrogance. But it's not the first time that humans have arrogantly thought, well, I'm better than God. Now, none of us say it. Nobody says it. But how many times throughout history, how many times through our own past? And I know that most of you are teens watching, but how many times in your life, even to now, to 14, 15, 16, 17, 18? Parents, grandparents, whoever else is watching. All three of you. How many times have we done something? Even when in the back of our minds, we're like, well, Jesus wouldn't like this, or this isn't how he would do it, or, you know, this is just what I want. I don't think this is what Jesus wants. How many times have we done that and still done it? And then we're like, okay, I'll ask for forgiveness now. And we get forgiven. 
But that's arrogance. And I include myself in this. Everyone, everyone living has done this. Now, hopefully, no one will be, none of us will be standing in front of him like this, ready to battle. But we do kind of battle every day in some things. In politics, in personal issues, in home issues, even at school. We often think, well, I know enough. I've arrived. I've, you know, I don't need anybody else, including Jesus. And again, these are not things we'd actually say. But our actions sometimes show that. Churches sometimes show that. I think of Westboro Baptist and churches who think, well, hey, we know God better than God knows God. And so that's how this will happen. And so you see this. Just picture this. Okay, I'm going to go to Endgame for a second. The movie, not my book and not the sermon. Uh, I recently rewatched all of the MCU uh, Marvel movies. And I cry in Endgame every time. I'm not going to spoil things, so I'm not going to say it's not the event you think I cry for. It's when Captain America stands up and all of the heroes and everybody ever starts to come out to fight Thanos and the bad guys. And it's just, it's everything I've ever wanted to see in a movie since I was a comic fan, since I loved stories, since I loved sci-fi. It's everything I've ever wanted to see. It's this giant battle of good versus evil. And that moment is so intense and so cool. And there's a giant battle. And so picture that, not that, but picture that, except in real life. And you have basically Jesus coming out of heaven with an army behind him. And it's insane that there are going to be people standing there against him, but they're going to have given their lives elsewhere by now. They're going to turn away. They're going to have hardened their hearts. But I bet some of them still are having doubts at this point. Like, he's, that's Jesus. Like, what are we doing? This next line is the most important line in the entire Bible to me. Well, aside from Jesus died for your sins. And the beast was captured. And with him the false prophet who did mighty miracles on his behalf, uh, on the behalf of the beast. Miracles that deceived all who had accepted the mark of the beast and who worshipped his statue. Both the beast and his false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Their entire army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one riding on the white horse. And the vultures all gorged themselves on the dead bodies. Now, before I get to the rest, that first line, right after I read, everybody's lining up. It's just like that battle in Endgame, except legit. It's Jesus coming down and Antichrist, the devil, they're standing there and the bad people are standing there. Next line is not, and then they battled, and Jesus was fighting through, and it was crazy, and the angels, no, it's like, hey, and then it was over. That was it. So all this build up for Armageddon. Everybody throughout history who has known this has talked about Armageddon, and this giant battle, this crazy battle. But it was over before it started. It was over, because when Jesus landed, or when he appeared, however it works, it's over. Because the devil... And people, we've always kind of given him more power. Now, that's not to say that you should just lighten everything about him, but he's not omnipotent. He's not omniscient. He's not omnipresent. He's a former angel. And so he doesn't have the same power as Jesus. And so all his entire goal is not to actually win. It's to drag people down with him. And we've seen people like this in history, but it's to drag people down. He doesn't think that he's going to win this battle. But he has all these people who he's convinced to follow him instead, or more importantly, to convince to turn away from Jesus. And so 
everybody who has turned from Jesus is like, this is going to be an amazing battle and it's going to be hard, but Jesus is like, it's over. The end. That's it. No battle. That's Armageddon. It's over. It's it. And that's what's so important and that's what's so amazing. That's why I love Revelation because in Endgame, there's this giant battle and it's really cool. Imagine if when Captain America is standing there and he's against Thanos and then, you know, it's just over. Thanos' people all just die like that. It's not going to happen because Captain America is Jesus and it's a movie and it not make any money. But in real life, nothing can stand against Jesus. Nothing. Not a single thing. People can try and things can try and people can say, well, you know, this is going to be the right way, but Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. When it comes down to it, nothing can stand against Jesus. This is victorious, not just for this battle, but for this life, because nothing can beat you. It doesn't mean you're not going to lose. It doesn't mean you're not going to fail. It doesn't mean people aren't going to hurt you. It means that Jesus, if you have him with you, ultimately you will continue succeeding. Ultimately you will stand back up. Ultimately you will see this moment in heaven. But when it comes down to it, the armies of the world, the evil, the things that stand against good, whatever, cannot stand against Jesus. Nothing in the world now, then, ever can. Because Jesus is perfect. Jesus is good. Jesus is holy. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And his love shines out over everything and it's over. There's no fight. We are fighting a battle that's already won. We're living a life that's already victorious. If you follow Jesus, take that moment for joy, for hope, for love, and then show other people. Show other people that, hey, there's a better way. Don't hit him in the head and yell at him and shame them. Show them, hey, I'm living victorious and this is what it looks like. Love them. Respect them. Show them who you are and who you serve. And it talks about, and then, you know, Jesus uh, wiped everybody out with the sword from his mouth. Now, we've talked about this a couple of times. That's his word. So essentially, the entire battle of Armageddon boils down to this. Bad guys form up behind the devil. Jesus comes down and says, it's finished. Everybody's dead. Because his word is the most powerful thing. His word is the most powerful thing. His love is the most powerful thing. This is revelation to me. This is why I get excited. This is why I do this series. This is why I'm going to talk about heaven next week. This is why Christmas happens. Because of this moment. Because nothing that we face, and there are bad things that we face, there are hard times, and there are people that are watching this, or people that will hear about this, or people that will never know this exists, but people in the world who are facing such terrible struggles and tribulations right now, dealing with such horrible things that they cannot see a way through. And I'm not saying that following Jesus means you don't face those things. It means that you understand that you're not alone in those things. I've made no secret of the fact I battle with depression and I hate myself and I struggle with all kinds of things about my life, but I love him. And so in the midst of my darkness, in the midst of the times when I wish it were over, I think about him. Because his name, his word, his love stands above everything. And so in this series, in your life, as we wrap up 2020, remember that you've already won. You don't have to beat people down. You don't have to embarrass them. You don't have to shame them. You don't have to be angry to hate. You've already won. So live like it. Show them what it looks like to win. Show them who Jesus is. Show them that nothing can stand against him. 
And then you stand for him. Stand for good. Stand for love. Stand for hope. As we go towards Christmas, the day after Christmas, you're like, oh, Christmas is over. Back to life. Carry that feeling, that joy, that hope, that peace, that love every single day. Because we've already won. Because nothing and no one can stand against Jesus. So do everything you can to show everyone who he is with your life, with your word, with your heart, with you every single day. That's all I got.